0: Maybe may be seated. You know, one Sunday morning, Pastor McGee noticed that little Alex was uh, staring up at a large plaque that was in the foyer there on the wall. And the plaque was covered with names and along by the names there were a number of little American flags there on the side. And the seven-year-old had been staring at this plaque for a while, so the pastor McGee walked up (coughs) beside him and quietly said to him, good morning, Alex. And Alex replied, good morning, pastor. Still focused on the plaque, looking at it. And Pastor McGee, what what is this plaque? What are all the names? He said, well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. And soberly staring at the large plaque, little Alex asked quietly, which service, the eight or the 11? (laughs) Well, since we're gonna be talking about children this morning, I figured uh, we ought to warm up with a little laugh about, uh, about kids. And all joking aside, understanding our relationship as children of the Heavenly Father is critical to living a life of joyful fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And it's a central concept of the Christian life and vitally important in living out our mission statement, which you know is to love God, love others, and live to reach our world for Christ. And the title of this morning's sermon is, Live Like God's Kid. And the big idea of the message today is joyous fellowship with the Lord and with one another happens naturally as we live as God's dearly loved children. And before we dive into our text in 1 John this morning, we need to understand what the Apostle John's purpose was for writing this letter. And he states this in 1 John chapter 1 Verses 1, 3, and 4, and I'll read it to you. What was from the beginning, and what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that your joy may be made complete. And to summarize, John wrote this letter to his readers to help his readers develop and experience fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And in our text this morning, the apostle gives us instructions on an important part of developing this joyous fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And with that in mind, turn in your Bibles to First John chapter three, verses one through three, and read along with me. If you didn't bring a Bible today, you'll notice that there's probably a Bible there in the seat pocket in front of you. First John three, one through three. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are, for this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope, fixed on Him, purifies himself, just as He is pure." In our study of this passage, uh, first, let's look at the provision of joyous fellowship in verse 1. And the Apostle John starts out with an exclamation of how great God's love is for us. And he emphasizes this by calling attention to the fact that God the Father considers us His children. And at first glance, this may seem kind of like Oh, hum And I know a lot of you have been in church a lot of years, and you've heard, heard it before a million times, you know, hey, we're God's kids. But when you really stop and think about it, the implications of being God's kids are absolutely astonishing. And let's take a few minutes to consider some of those implications and what they are. And first, a question for you all, and actually all of us. What were we like when God saved us and made us His children? What were we like? What's that? (laughs) What's that, ADD? We we were all over the place. What else were we like? Rotten. Rotten. There you go. We were rotten. Any other descriptions you can think of? Self-centered was all about us. Dead. Dead. There you go. (laughs) You can't get much more succinct than that, can you? Well, and actually, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, gives us some of the ugly details of what we were like before God made us His children. And it first tells us that we were spiritual corpses, as what Dale Dale said. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and we sought to pattern our lives after the corrupt ways of the world. And we were following and obeying Satan in all that we did. And we aggressively pursued whatever our bodies told us to do. We lived out the old, if it feels good, do it. That's what we did. And we were destined to experience the righteous wrath of God. We were children of wrath. And you have to admit, we were pretty grim creatures at that point. You know, in my own life, I think back of when I, when I was 15 years old, and I remember an incident that happened um, about two years prior to that when I was 13 that kind of sums up what I was like. One day, I was being blatantly disobedient to my mother, and I was giving her a very large ration of grief as she chastised me (coughs) righteously so for being uh, so disobedient and finally in complete frustration she looked at me and she said when I tell you to do something you move like I was God to which I snottily replied to her well what does that make me the son of God you know to this day (laughs) I'm surprised that either the Lord or my mother didn't kill me on the spot, because, boy, I certainly deserved it for that kind of remark. You know, and if even unlike me, maybe you were a good kid, and all of us, even if we were good kids, we were all despicable in God's eyes. You see, we all deserved condemnation. And looking back at our text in 1 John 3, notice in verse 1 that God's love was bestowed on us. You see, it was completely undeserved. It was because of His grace and it was a gift. And we didn't merit any part of us. None of us did. In thinking further about the implications of God making us His children, after He graciously saved us, you know... He could have just said to us, you know, look you guys, I saved you and that was more than what you deserve. Now just get out of my sight. He could very well have said that. But he didn't. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 tells us what our loving Father did next. He said, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born into the law, so that He might redeem us who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, instead of standing us away, God adopted us as His kids. And we certainly didn't deserve that. But He didn't stop there. You see, the Father could have adopted us as His children and kind of let us be Cinderella's. You know Cinderella, you know, she got... Taken into the household and all that, but where did she end up? She ended up as the servant. And even if the Lord had adopted us and let us just be the servant in His house, that would have been far more than what we actually deserved. But again, God didn't do that. And Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, gives us the full and glorious picture of of what our adoption was by God our Father. It says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father! And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. You see... God only not only adopted us, but He also placed us in a position of privilege in His house. You see, there's no Cinderella relationship for us. You see, He made us co-inheritors of everything that Christ has. And what does Christ have? Everything. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He's heir to everything. And guess What? What is his is mine. Unbelievable. And not only that, but look at the nature of the relationship that God the Father desires with us. As many of you know, that word, that word there, Abba. Abba, it's an Aramaic word that could be best translated into English as daddy. Yeah, Eric, that's what it is. It's daddy. And that's the kind of relationship that He wants with us. And our Heavenly Father gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And one of the specific jobs that the Father gave the Holy Spirit is to cry out in our hearts and whisper in our hearts, You're God's kid. You're God's child. And that's what He cries out in our hearts to remind us that that is our position As dearly loved children. You see, our Heavenly Father has gone to mind boggling lengths to show us how much He loves us. And the Father's love for us is so vast that He rescued us from the pig pen of our rebellion and made us His dearly loved children. Co owners and rulers of all of creation with the Lord Jesus. That is how lavish and extravagant His love is. You see, our adoption as His dearly loved children is the provision that God the Father made to bring about joyous fellowship, joyous fellowship with him and with one another. And looking back at the text, the Apostle John also makes an interesting comment at the end of verse 1, 1 John 1, 3, and he says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And we've just looked at how vast God's love is for us, his children, and you'd kind of think, thinking about that, you know, Why aren't non-Christians just dying to get a part of that? But John tells us that to a degree, the opposite is true. You see, God's beloved children who seek Him will be misunderstood to a great degree by those who are in the world. They won't know us, even as they didn't know Him. You know, a couple of weeks ago, one of our RBC high schoolers who attends public schools here in the high school arena, was in class and a teacher was having various of his uh, students read aloud a story that he had assigned. And this story had a significant amount of profanity in it. And the student who I know well and loves the Lord very, very dearly was asked to read part of this story. And when she read the story, She skipped over the profanity and refused to say it. And another student did something similar and after they had both finished, the teacher looked at them and at the whole class and said, you know, I can't believe that there are so many goody two-shoes in this class. That is a true You see, the world doesn't understand us who are dearly loved children. And we shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't like us, when they mock us, and when they ridicule the things that we stand for. Now we've looked at the provision of joyous fellowship in verse 1. Let's move on and look at the promise of of joyful fellowship in verse 2. And first notice that the Apostle John affirms that we are God's children right now. Right now. He says, beloved, now we are children of God. You see, we don't have to wait for that. We don't have to wait. You see, we're God's kids right now, and if you have received Jesus as your Savior and put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone... You are God's kid now. And with our present situation clarified, John moves on to what will happen to us as his children in the future. And he points out that we don't know exactly how our childhood is going to play out. He says, beloved, we are now children of God and it has not appeared as to yet what we will be. And then the Apostle points out something in the future that we do know is going to happen. And it's a promise. He says, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. So what event is John talking about in this passage when he says, and when He appears, what event is he talking about there? What's that? Return of Christ? Christ? He's talking about the rapture. That's what he's talking about in that verse. You see, when Christ returns for us, for all Christians, both those who are alive and those who are dead, what will happen is in 1 Thessalonians 4:15 through 17 it indicates to us that we will all meet the Lord in the air in glorified bodies. And again, this is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15-17, if you want to mark that down. And we don't, but we do we really know what these glorified bodies are going to look like? Somewhat, but we don't know exactly. You know, those of you who have had children may remember what it was like uh, during that pregnancy period. And especially if you were actually the one carrying that child, you know, you can probably remember the, Child moving around inside of you and kicking, and you know, dad puts his hand on it, and you can feel the baby kick and all that. And maybe you even had an ultrasound, and you see that kind of fuzzy black and white picture of that of that baby. And uh, you kind, of, but you also end up kind of thinking, you know, I wonder what color his eyes or his her eyes are going to be. What's his hair going to look like? What's the personality of that little one going to be like? Boy, that one, I'd sure like to know that. You know, and we know that this wonderful little child is going to be born some days down the road, but we just don't know all the specifics until they're actually born and what's going to happen. And this is much the same situation we face when considering what we will be like when we are in His presence. We know we will be His children, and we know it will be glorious, but we just don't know all the specifics of what it's going to be about. But the promise that we do have is that when we see the Lord face to face, we will be like Him. And our bodies will be like His glorified body. We will be pure, we will be sinless, and we won't even be tempted by sin anymore. And we'll be righteous, just like He is. But at least part of the transformation process that John refers to doesn't have to wait until the rapture. You know, the transformation of our bodies, that does have to wait for that time when we see Him face to face and we'll be like Him. But the transformation of our character can make significant progress while we were here on the earth. And not surprisingly the transformation process on earth is much the same as one John, as the one John outlines in verse 2 of our text. And the apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 3:18. He said this. He said, "But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory." You see